0: You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. I want to bring a message, though, that I believe is from the heart of God as we continue to talk about these Beatitudes. um, It's important to understand uh, that Beatitudes, and when we get into this this morning, I, I just want you to really engage in what God is doing and, and pay attention to the word. Give attention to the word of God this morning. That's my challenge to you. When we talk about the Beatitudes, it's it's really living the blessed life. God wants you to live the blessed life. And uh, we're concluding the series today. If you missed a week, you can uh, look up on online or check the podcast out and uh, listen so that you can keep up to date with where we're at. Uh, We've defined Beatitudes as a condition or a statement of blessedness. It is the word for blessed, happy, or fortunate. And and that's what we've seen. And I've kind of given my own definition to Beatitudes. How I define Beatitudes are conditions of the heart that result in true happiness. uh, Or attitudes that determine actions that result in happiness. And, And God is determined to improve your life. He wants to make things better for you. And and no matter what you're going through, whatever challenges you're facing, God wants to be involved with your life. And if if you agree with that, say amen. That means I agree, okay? And now we have discovered that Beatitudes address the heart issues of mankind. Beatitudes identify the blessed person. And also the condition that results in that blessing. And so, in each of the Beatitudes, we see a condition connected with a promise. In fact, the Beatitudes change the way we think, and it should then change the way we live our lives. All right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll read this portion of Scripture once again. Starting at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at this. Seeing the crowds, it's verse one, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And let me just add this. Seeing God is the great goal. To be able to see him. To have a revelation of who he is. Then number nine, verse nine, I should say. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Then verse 10 blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven let's pray and as we pray this morning uh, we want to just pray for again this nation uh, and I stand before you only as God's messenger to communicate his heart that's my desire this morning I offer myself as his mouthpiece and we also want to pray for the families and of the victims of the Planned Parenthood shooting in Colorado. The motive of the killer remains unclear, but this kind of stuff has to stop. And, and we need to seek the heart of God. And I believe great revival will bring great change to this nation and, and make a shift to move us in, in the right direction because right now we're going in the wrong direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for this time, this season. And Father, we seek your heart, we seek your face. I pray, Father, that as your word goes forth today, that your spirit would quicken our hearts and minds, that you'd give us, a, Father, a revelation of the truth, that you'd give us understanding of your word. Yes. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Uh, when I spoke last, uh, before we left for Tulsa, uh, my challenge to you as a body of believers was to call you to a pure devotion to Jesus Christ, a pure devotion to him. And that, That means it's a step beyond where you may be at right now. A pure devotion to him. Now, last week, we were very blessed, you were very blessed, uh, to have Philip and Annette Tuttle minister to you. Annette's here this morning. I'm sure her husband's working today. But what a wonderful message. And thank you so much for ministering the word. (laughs) Praise God. You know, I I was able to uh, link into the periscope Uh, which is actually a little video. You could see it from my cell phone and just hear uh, the message and so blessed by just the depth, the inspiration, and the revelation that was presented. And I love something that you said, Annette, uh, and that is, you know, people are always saying, you should do this, you should do this. And she said, don't shit on me. (laughs) She said, just tell me how to do it because we're always told what we should do but we don't always know how to do it or how to arrive, and I think it's it's when we look at the Beatitudes, it's realizing that uh, this is telling us how. There's there's instruction from Jesus as to how to arrive at a different place than maybe we are at right now, and so thank you so much, and and I apologize, it's not on the podcast but it should be loaded today and for your listening if you weren't here you need to listen to that message you'll be extremely blessed now today's message i have to be very very honest with you i feel totally inadequate to minister this message today and and i think in part it's because as americans we have not experienced the level of persecution that many christians around this world experience on a daily basis We've been so blessed in America with the freedoms we have. But those freedoms are being eroded away. Amen. And and so we need to stand up for freedom. We need to stand up for the truth. But uh, so my inadequacy in this is, I, I'm doing it from an American perspective, but I've had opportunity to travel. And uh, years ago, I actually went into Russia when it was under Soviet control and communist rule. And so I'm gonna share a few things about that this morning with you today. Uh, but I know that uh, <sighs> we don't really know what it means to be persecuted for our faith in America. Not at the level that's occurring in the world right now. Now, obviously, not all persecution results in death. But yet, Christians are dying for their faith every day. Our partners international, the ministry, actually reports Every year, 150,000 Christians are martyred for their faith. Now, this doesn't always make front-line news. It's it's happening around the world, and it's not being reported uh, by a lot of news, uh, uh, you know, sources. But yet, it's happening, and there's documentation to prove that it's happening. Uh, this week, I received an email from the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union. And Jay Sekulow, who is the ACLU chief counsel, made this statement in the email. He said, Christians are being crucified, enslaved, and beheaded. ISIS, the Islamic state, is exterminating Christians. Radical Islamic mobs are burning Christians alive. Christian communities are being decimated. It's unbearable. And yet, we can just go live our lives. Nothing's wrong. Everything's okay. And yet, our brothers in other places in the world are suffering under such heavy persecution. And, and it's, it's something that we need to not only know, but to engage our faith to pray and maybe allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what he would have us do in response to what's being done to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let me, again, say not all persecution results in death. There are different levels and forms of persecution. Many of you have heard of Pastor uh, Saeed, who's imprisoned in Iran. In fact, Pastor Saeed uh, has been in Iran since 2012, imprisoned for uh, several years now. He's a a U.S. citizen who was born in Iran. He's been held since September of 2012 in an Iranian prison. Now, he made a statement in the letter that he was able to get through. He said, after beatings and torture, I did not recognize myself. He was beaten beyond recognition. He stated, after multiple beatings and interrogations at the hands of the radical Islamic regime, he wrote that the nurse who was supposed to treat the injured inmates told him, in our religion, we are not supposed to touch you because you are unclean. Christians are unclean, he explained. They would not give me the pain medication that they would give other prisoners because I was unclean. Wow. Now let me just tell you, um, Christianity doesn't believe that. We don't believe that anyone is unclean. In fact, Uh, God gave Peter a vision from heaven and said, there's nothing unclean. All things are cleansed and and, and belong to God, okay? And so uh, we need need to understand that. Now, in March 22nd of this year, uh, there was a report, Iraqi Christians persecuted by ISIS. It was reported that more than 125,000 of Iraqi Christians have been forced to flee homeland the homeland where they lived for nearly 2,000 years because of ISIS violence and threats. And so we see this kind of thing happening. People uprooted from their homes. That they have generations that they've lived and occupied this land and this territory that now has been stripped away from them. So they're left homeless without a a place to live. Um, My first trip to Russia which is uh, the former USSR, the Soviet Union, was in the year 1980. I was actually a student at UWSP here in town. And uh, Professor Robert Price, I was uh, taking uh, a class with him. Uh, I was learning the Russian language because at that time I really believed that I was going to be somehow involved as a missionary or ministering to the Russian people. And so uh, they he presented an opportunity for us to travel to russia the university of wisconsin all the schools together combined we uh, were able to get 90 of our students to go to the soviet union so i signed up and uh, went on that trip and uh, i was able to acquire some russian bibles which i was able to take into the land and i talked to Professor Price and I said, you know, I I want to be upfront with you. I don't want to get the, tr- the the group in trouble, but I'm going to be taking these Bibles with me. Is that okay? And he said, "Well, if they discover them, if they find them, they'll most likely confiscate them because it's illegal to bring a Bible into into the Soviet Union." I said, "Okay." And so I was praying I I was only able to get two russian bibles i was searching all over and at that time there was not email or internet so i you know was doing the phone call the writing and sending out letters to try to acquire some russian bibles i could only come up with two i said well two is better than none and i you know where i had to get them from from sweden (laughs) so they shipped them over to me I put them in my suitcase right on the very top of, of, of my clothes and I closed the bag and I closed the suitcase. And so wouldn't you know, uh, well, we flew to Helsinki, Finland uh, and in Helsinki, we actually got on the Soviet bound train, which was a sleeper train. They had sleeper cabins, four cabin, and which was leaving Finland and going into the Soviet Union. And so. Uh, we get on the train. I'm there with three other guys in this room and, and we come to the Soviet border and the train stops. And the Russians, come on. These uh, soldiers come on and they actually, they came into our cabin. They had the other three guys leave and he said, "You stay. I was trying to get out of there." And he asked for my visa, I had my visa. He began to interrogate me right there and he was not real pleasant about it. He was pretty gruff and pretty rough. And so he started asking me some questions. And one of the questions he asked me, he says, do you have any Bibles with you? oh, great. (laughs) And I said, yes. And he looked at me, he said, are you a Christian? Do you have a personal Bible? I said, yes. And he said, may I see them? So I, I open up my suitcase, and I'm, you know, fear and trembling here because I'm thinking, I'm in hot water right now, folks. And I opened up that suitcase, and then right there on the top are those two Russian Bibles. He picked them up, and he began to flip to them. And he, he looked at me and said, where did you get these? And I explained why I got them. He said, what do you plan to do with them? And I said, I plan to give them as gifts to Soviet believers. And then, you know, because at that time, you could get $150 for a Bible on the black market in the Soviet Union. So that was, you know, that was, came at a high price. Also, $100 for a pair of blue jeans, it didn't matter what kind of shape they were in. So they wanted Levi's, particularly. So a lot of these students were packing Levi's jeans in their suitcase, okay, uh, we won't, don't need to go there. But, but then he asked me this question, he looked me in the eye and he said, do you trust God? And I looked him right back in the eye and I said, yes. I trust God. And then he said something that literally shocked me. He said, very well then. He put the Bibles back in the suitcase and he closed the suitcase. I thought, Whoa. <laughs> and And then at that point, his whole tenor changed. And because I, I personally believe that this guy was a Christian, but he couldn't tell anybody about it because of his rule. But God put that person in place for me to get those Bibles into that country and um, so then you know because I had prayed I had people pray over those Bibles that they would get in the hands of whoever they were supposed to be in but in that country there was definite persecution there was oppression there was poverty at levels that were unbelievable You know, there were such facades put out. I actually, you know, that would make it look like the Soviet Union is strong and wealthy and all this, but it wasn't that way. We'd go into grocery stores, and literally, there were empty shelves with nothing on them. Rows and rows of, and people were waiting in line. They would get like one item, and there was a whole line of people waiting to get this item, and I said, oh, what are they waiting for? And it was a bag of oranges in another line they had these scrawny looking chickens but there were lines that actually went through the building and out the door until the items ran out i thought this is really something Um, i was able in the city of at that time it was called leningrad now they changed the name to st petersburg since uh, communism had fallen um i had got the address from this sweden mission of a of a registered Baptist church in the city of St. Petersburg, which then was Lening- uh, Leningrad. And I was able to get a taxi and I was able to convince another student from UWSP to go with me to a church service. And um, no, and I, actually, I'm getting this wrong. This was in Moscow because there was another event in Leningrad. This was in Moscow. So we get in this taxi cab and he, you know, I give the taxi cab the address and he can't find the place and finally he drops us off on the street corner and I, i'm in the middle of moscow not knowing where i am and how to get back to our hotel and so i'm thinking okay lloyd you're gonna have to lead us you going to have to guide us you're gonna have to help us through this and so then uh, there was somebody walking down the street and he could tell that we weren't from there you know <laughs> and and uh somehow we connected and started a conversation even though he couldn't speak very good English and I couldn't speak very good Russian but we were able to at least find out that where the church was because I asked him is there a church service somewhere and and so he said follow me so I follow him and, and we go into this doorway and open this door and there's hundreds of people in this baptist church and so he takes me up, he introduces me to his daughter who can speak better English. So she begins to translate for me. And then we're seated actually in the balcony of this church and uh, this, uh, the, he's explained to me what's happening. Uh, they had the church service and they had a baptism and there were 17 people water baptized that day. And the, the KGB were actually lined up because this is a registered church, they would be at every service, they were lined up and they were writing down the names of those that were being baptized. And, and this man told me, he said, because they are being baptized, they will not have access to education, good housing. They will come under persecution because of what they're doing. Now, the, legally they can do this, but this, this the, the church here is oppressed. I, I can remember a moment when I had my Bible because I had my English Bible and there's a little grandma next to me and she said Biblia, which is Bible in Russian and she put her hand on the Bible. She just put her hand on it and the look on her face, it was like I'm able to lay my hand on a copy of the word of God. And, and, and then uh, I, there's so much that happened on that trip and I, I'm, I'm trying to just reduce things here for the sake of time. After the service we were leaving, And they said, communion. Do you want to partake of communion? It's illegal for us to do this, but we have a scriptural obligation and mandate. And so then he led me up this winding staircase into the attic of the church, and there were probably about 70 Russians packed into this little room. And they were sharing the Lord's Supper and partaking of communion. And I was standing there thinking, Lord, I have no idea what it means to be a Christian under these kind of conditions. How they're willing to, to, to lay their lives down and sacrifice. And, and, and I, I can remember this man because he invited me to his, his home and, and, and shared a little meal with me. and Because he, he was my ticket back to the hotel because I had no idea how I was going to get back you know, to the hotel. So he got me on the train and, and, and took me to his place and then you know, I was able to get my way, find my way back to the hotel. But um, he, he shared with me just how their perspective and mindset was. He said, we pray that the church in America would be persecuted. I said, what? Why? He said, because persecution will strengthen the church. Because every place in scripture where you see the the church was persecuted, the church is growing and it gets stronger. It's not complacent. It's not weak. It's not anemic. And then I said, wow, why don't you just pray for revival? I said, because we're praying that the church in Russia will not be persecuted, that God will send revival. And and I tell you what, um, I was able to go back 10 years later after the wall had fallen and be part of the early days of revival there. And I tell you, that experience changed my life because I could contrast it from 10 years earlier under communistic rule. We were invited and welcomed into Moscow State University and they, they, the team of um, pastors and ministers that were with us, that I went with, um, they basically gave us the classroom, said, you can tell us anything you want. So we shared the gospel. We prayed for hundreds and hundreds of people to receive Christ. I can remember praying for Russian soldiers, former Soviet soldiers to receive Christ coming forward in altar calls. We went to one place. It was a hospital for Chernobyl victims that because of the Chernobyl occurrence with the nuke meltdown, it contaminated areas and all these people were dying of cancer. There was a hospital that was dedicated to take care of these people. They let us go in that hospital In every room pray for the sick. And years later, the Lord gave me visions of that and I never thought I would see that in Russia praying for the sick. The same thing happened everywhere we went. When we went to Leningrad, they, they gave us opportunity to go into hospitals, sanitariums, and pray for the sick, minister to the gospel, or minister the gospel, give altar calls. And what blew my mind is when I give the altar call, everyone would raise their hand to accept Christ. So I, I would tell them to again, make sure they knew what they were doing and what they were raising their hand for. And the hands all go up again accepting jesus christ as the lord and savior i mean now you know things have changed in russia since that time but there was a, a moment of time where god's spirit was poured out in such a marvelous mighty way matthew 10 verses 10 through 12 let's let's look at this blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Verse 11 goes on to say, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now what's interesting about this beatitude, and I just noticed this, I didn't read this anywhere, I just kind of saw it, it kind of jumped off the page at me. We see in this beatitude that this eighth beatitude's with where we began. With the same promise Jesus gave in the first beatitude, which is a promise to receive the kingdom of heaven, we see a double mention of the kingdom also repeated here in this eighth beatitude. So this implies and tells us that there's a kingdom emphasis here when we look at these beatitudes. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven? See, uh, because we see Jesus establishing a focus of our attention on his kingdom, we understand the kingdom of heaven is, is the rule and the reign of, of God. Where he's ruling, he's reigning, and, and God wants us to enter into that rule, enter into that reign here on earth because Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to reflect what's happening in heaven on this planet to bring his authority, to bring his power, to bring his presence on this earth. And so we see this as a promise shown here. The kingdom of heaven is actually the the domain or territory where the king, God himself, reigns. See, God exercises authority and power over that territory. And that territory happens to be over our lives and who we are and what we do should reflect his kingdom. Now, when we talk about persecution, persecution defined is, is, well, persecuted defined is somebody subject to hostility and ill treatment. We see a definition of persecution as the act of harassing, oppressing, killing people because of their difference from society. See, Christians are persecuted because they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And and Satan inspires others to oppose that position, oppose that stand. In Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it's defined as to treat someone cruelly or unfairly, especially because of race or religious or political beliefs, to constantly annoy or bother someone. Now, in in the Greek, it actually means, it's the Greek word diakol, Which means to put to flight, to press, to pressure, pursuing, or to run after. And so it's you—you know—sometimes you're on the run because of persecution. But now we see in this beatitude there's a qualification of the persecution. It's persecution for righteousness' sake. Now let me tell you something. This kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about here begins the very moment we give our hearts. Jesus. The very moment we're born of his spirit, the very moment we begin to follow Jesus, that's where persecution begins. And sometimes, and most of the time, it's just with family and our friends. It's at that level. They say, what did you do? You did what? You're reading the Bible? You're going to that church? And they begin to ridicule you because, oh, now you're better than us because you've got God in your life and and so that's a level of persecution persecution comes at different levels but notice it says persecution for righteousness sake sake means because of cause interest or benefit and so you know righteousness sake is it's it's the cause of righteousness the benefit of that quality of god working and bringing things right into our life right order and now it doesn't say persecuted for being stupid's sake, okay, uh, or for being obnoxious, annoying, and self-righteous. Because sometimes Christians who are claiming I'm being persecuted, it's being persecuted for stupid's sake. You know, you're bringing that on it, it. It's not because of righteousness' sake. It's because you've just you know not going about it right. You're misrepresenting the heart of God. You know, you're beating people over the head with the Bible rather than reaching out to them in the love of Christ, okay? Now, uh, and then persecution is sometimes when you have to be honest and you don't want to be. There's a time I had to tell my boss something I didn't want to tell him. I was working at a factory and I was running a forklift and I was picking up a big load of steel and I they had put a brand new tire and it was a a big tire on this forklift. It was a huge forklift. And I ran up against this piece of metal that was on the side and slit that tire, a six-inch gash in the tire. And I looked around. As soon as I did, I looked around. Nobody saw me at all. So nobody's gonna rat on me. Nobody's gonna tell on me. So I I drive back into the, the, the factory to unload the steel and You know, the Holy Spirit starts working on me. Now, you're going to go tell the foreman, right? No, I don't have any plans to. Nobody saw me. (laughs) You know? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. You know, and I know the blood of Jesus will cover this, you know. But, you know, that was eating away. And I said, you know, if if I tell the truth, it's not going to be good for me. Lord, I don't want to lose my job. You don't want me to be without work. And so... I finally got the courage. With God's help, I went, knocked on the, I went into the production office. There the foreman was sitting. <laughs> and I said, uh, sir, I have something to tell you. And he didn't even look up. You know, said, what? And I said, you know that brand new tire we put on the forklift? He said, yep. I said, well, um, I was l- picking up a load of steel in the yard and um, I didn't realize there was a, uh, piece of metal on the, on the ground and and when I spun up to get under that load, um, I put a gash in that tire. He looked up at me, what? That's a brand new tire. Do you know how much that cost? I said, um, and he told me. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking, I thought the next word, that's coming out of your paycheck. And then he's just going, and I'm praying in the spirit under my breath, you know, and finally said, He started calming down, and I'm thinking, okay, okay. And he said, thanks for telling me. He said, you know how angry I would have been if I would have found that and nobody would have told me? And I thought, wow. And I felt the pressure relieved, and I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus, you know. (laughs) So being honest is good. But a lot of times, people are afraid of honesty and being truthful and, and being integrous because of persecution that may come. We should never fear persecution for being righteous, for doing what's right. See, we need to be honest. We can't be just doing these little white lies. I, I, don't, don't get me over there because I, I think too much of that goes on in the body of Christ. But I believe God is bringing us to a higher level. There's a higher standard for us as Christians. Right. And, and so we need to stop some of that stuff. Now, hmm, wow, First Peter 2, 18 through 20, and I, I've I got more stuff here. <laughs> but First Peter 2, 18 through 20, look at this with me. So servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, this is really like the boss, you and the boss. Your master is the boss. Now, in that day, it could have related to slavery, that kind of thing, but uh, for our uh you know as we look at this it's really how we relate to our boss it says be subject to your masters with all respect not only to be good and gentle but also to the unjust for this is a gracious thing when mindful of god one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly okay this suffering unjustly is persecution folks now notice verse 20 for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten up for it you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is grac- a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, in other words, if you sin and mess up, then you know you got to bear that consequence. But if you do what's right and suffer for it, this is something that brings God's grace, His enablement. In another place it says the glo- the spirit of the glory- spirit of the glory of God rests on you. So, what about persecution? And I I don't even have time to do this part. What about persecution that comes from other Christians? Oh, look out. oh, this I mean, this is the issue in the church. Because you want to go deeper with God, you want to go, you want to really get serious with God, and there's other Christians that are kind of carnal in their mind and and, and they're just kind of lukewarm, and they start persecuting you. Oh. You're making me look bad, you know? Um, We got to watch that. Now, there's some facts I want to share with you. In America, we've not known the level of persecution that would result in our physical death because our founding fathers and others have fought for our freedom. They paid the price. More Christians have died for their faith, and do you know that, in this current century than all the other centuries of the church history combined? Uh, This is the age of the martyrs. In a recent article by Justin D. Long, he emphasized the starting fact, the startling fact, that more people have died for their faith in the 20th century than all the previous centuries combined. During this century, we have documented cases in excess of 20 million martyrs. From AD 33 to the year 1900, they have documented 14 million martyrs. Now, it started, we see in the book of Acts, Peter and John before the council. They were taken, they were beaten, they were chastised because they were preaching Jesus. We see the stoning of Stephen, who's uh, known as the first martyr, in Acts 17, verses 54 through 60. He was stoned to death as he's preaching the gospel. We see that Paul himself persecuted the church. In Acts 22, verse 4, he states, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. In Acts 26, 11, he further goes on to say, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even the foreign cities. I mean, this Paul guy, he was, he was Saul then, he was a radical persecutor of the church. But you know, I, I believe one of the reasons he got saved He was on everyone's number one prayer list. Number one on the prayer list. Everybody's praying for this guy. Lord, you need to save this guy. He needs to be on our side. You need to recruit this guy because he'll do great for you. And so, you know. Now, how did those who were closest to Jesus die? Think about this. His apostles. Well, James was the first apostle to be executed by King Herod. And every apostle was killed for the sake of the gospel of Jesus, except for John, who they tried to kill. They tried to boil him in oil. He wouldn't die. And this guy was something else. So they exiled him or banished him to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. You know? Uh, so, it, it, you know, it's amazing when, when we look at this. Uh, if you want a good book for reading, there's a couple I'm gonna recommend. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. It goes into the history of, of, of those who gave their lives to Christ in the early church. And then uh, there's a book that I read that inspired me greatly, Tortured for Christ, by Richard Wurmbrand. And he talks about the persecuted church in, in the Soviet Union. And at, at the time, you know, he lived in Romania. He was a Lutheran pastor, and, and among 1,000 leaders, he was the only one who refused to denounce um, his faith, uh, but he came against the control of the Romanian communists. Uh, The communists had closed Sunday schools and oppressed the church, but he resisted the communist control of the church and he went underground. And later, he and his wife went into prison. And in his book, he relates to one story about a pastor who was imprisoned along with his son. And the communists, they said to this pastor, if you don't deny Jesus, we're going to kill your son in front of your eyes and you're going to watch him die. And his son said these words. He says, Father, don't do me the disgrace to, to deny Jesus. You know where I'm going. And so they, made, they hold it, held his eyes open. They made him watch the communists brutally beat his son and torture him to death. You know, that kind of stuff was happening all the time. And yet, the rest of the world is, is, is going on. What does it mean to be persecuted? You know, for some people, it might be just being teased. Oh, I'm being teased. They're teasing me. Made fun of, mistreated, shunned, or murdered. It includes all those things. The recent Oregon college campus shooting was targeted against Christians. He specifically asked, the, the, the shooter specifically asked, uh, are you a Christian? And his response when they would say yes, he said, well, you're gonna meet Jesus in just a moment. And then he'd shoot them. Wow. Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We can't be ashamed of Jesus. What's a little persecution? Second Timothy through 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. What a nice promise. You need to put that on your refrigerator. Put that on your mirror. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I desire to live godly. Amen. Just having the desire Opens the door to persecution, Amen. right? And so uh, we need to understand this. Persecution is a, a, a normal thing that 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 happens in this earth because not everybody is saved. Not everybody is is in love with Jesus. And second, in uh, and, and John fifteen twenty, the Gospel of John fifteen twenty, Jesus said, "Remember the final word I said to you: A servant is not greater than his master." If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, Paul, you know, he was a radical. Now, when he was saved, in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, be coming like him in his death. See, he, he was willing to associate with Jesus in his suffering. Um, so what can we learn from this beatitude? I got these three points. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. We must begin to see persecution as a blessing, not a curse, because we're in the same company with Jesus and his disciples. See, sometimes we have the wrong perspective. Oh, I'm being persecuted, and that should cause us to to rejoice rather than grieve. Because you being persecuted they're really coming against Jesus. They're not coming against you. You know, I've experienced ridicule, teasing because of my faith in Christ. But yet somehow I knew it, it wasn't that they didn't like me. They didn't like Jesus. Okay? Number two, this beatitude is addressing persecution that results because of our association And relationship with Jesus Christ. Now get this, He takes responsibility for what happens to you because you have decided to follow Him. So, no no matter what happens in the persecution that's coming your way, Jesus takes responsibility for what happens to you because you have decided to follow Him. Matthew 5, 11, again, it says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. How can that be a blessing? And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because he knows they're coming against us because of him, who he is. Then number three, there is a kingdom reality that God wants you to grasp and understand that has present implications, not just future. In Matthew 5, verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I have a question for you this morning. Do you have a faith that you're willing to live for? You know, most of you would say, yeah, like, I want to live for God. I have a faith that I'm willing to live for. I'm willing to sacrifice other things. I'm, I'm willing to devote my heart and life to Christ. Better yet, another question do you have a faith that you are willing to die for? And it's not the kind of death like ISIS, who only die for their faith as they're killing other innocent people. But it's dying by laying your life down for the sake of the cross. See, the apostle Paul said, it's no longer I that liveth, but it's Christ that lives in me. In fact, he stated, he said, I die daily. He died to his selfish interests. He died to his way, his will, and what he wanted to embrace God's will and what God wanted for his life. He stated in Galatians 2.20, for me to live is Christ. Or actually, yeah, um, that's Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is to gain. It's it's promotion. The life that the apostle Paul lived, he lived by faith in the son of God who died and gave himself for him. I want you to take a moment just by your heads and eyes, and, and we wanted to offer a prayer this morning and an invitation for those of you that may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe some of the things I shared this morning didn't make a whole lot of sense, and maybe you're trying to, to wrap your mind around it and say, well, what's all this persecution stuff? How does this relate to me? How does this affect me? And do I want to give my life to Jesus and then go through this persecution? But that's part of the costs that you need to count and what you need to consider in coming to Christ because there is a price to pay. There is a cost. Even though salvation is free, it costs you commitment, it costs you dedication, it costs you giving up your will to embrace His. Because the free will is probably the greatest gift that God gave you the freedom of choice. Because God will never impose his will upon you. So you do have to choose. Even though Jesus died for the sins of every person in the world, everyone ever born that is currently living and anyone that will yet to be born, Jesus' blood covers it all. He died for the sins of the world. But yet every individual must make their own choice to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior to receive and appropriate His forgiveness for their life. Because we've all sinned. We're all sinners. So we're all in need of a Savior. Thanks for listening to the Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearefuge.net.